bless you, God bless you. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We will be in verses 12 through 17 today. We will be uh, talking about Pergamos, the compromising church. Father, we ask once again that you would be our teacher, that you would be able to uh, convey to your people what it is that you would have us to know in the way that we revere, honor your word and anticipate you speaking to us through it. Father, a beautiful area of scripture tonight in regards to what you have to say about the power of your word and that we would recognize it to be just that, power, strength, encouragement, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, to give us perseverance, to give us love, to give us hope, to give us joy. Father, we pray that you are blessed with the conduct of your people around the world. Father, I know this is a time that you would have us to be praying, to be praying, Lord. And we ask that you would bless our prayer time. You would bless our prayer, our prayer life in such a way that we would be experiencing wonderful, wonderful intimacy with you through prayer. We want to hear your voice, Lord. We want to hear and receive your directives. Speak to us, Father, for your glory. Speak to us tonight through your word that we would be strengthened, fortified, equipped to navigate these exciting times, Lord. Some of which are called perilous. We thank you that we have the victory in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 2. Verses 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name. And you did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on that stone a new name written which no one knows 
except him who receives it. How beautiful. Pergamos, the compromising church. Unlike Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamos was not part of a great city that was seen for its commercial activity and commercial trade. I, 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 I like to look at these different places and, and picture what they might possibly be like. I pictured Ephesus to be a, a seaport town that had lost some of its luster. I saw Smyrna to be a, a beautiful place, a beautiful place, one of my favorite places uh, in, in probably the United States would be uh, uh, La Jolla and San Diego. Or, or maybe up around Carmel. Uh, beautiful places along the coast. And, and now we look at Pergamos. And I see Pergamos as a college town. A college town that possibly would not have anything if they did not have the university. I was born uh, in Stillwater, Oklahoma the home of the Oklahoma State University Cowboys. And it was a beautiful little town. It still is a beautiful town. But they know that if the college wasn't there, it would be a very small, small little place that you possibly wouldn't even bother to stop through. Well, I look at Pergamos, and Pergamos was known for something. It was known for religion. It was known for higher learning. It was known for its education. When John wrote, Pergamos had been the, cap the capital city of the region for more than 300 years. Pergamos was a noted uh, community for its culture, its education. And as I said, it's what we might describe as a college town today influenced by academia and intellectualism. It had one of the greatest libraries of the ancient world. It had temples to the Greek and Roman gods, Dionysus, Athena, uh, Demeter, Zeus, Aphrodite, and one called Aesculp Appius. Aesculp Appius. And he was the god of medicine. Aesculapius is the name where we get the word scalpel. It's interesting. Sufferers, Barclay says, were allowed to spend the night in the darkness of the temple. In the temple, there were tame snakes. In the night, the sufferer might be touched by one of these tame and harmless snakes as it glided over the ground on which he lay. The touch of the snake was held to be the touch of the God himself, and the touch was held to bring health to the healing. <laughs> the touch would have given me a heart attack. It would have done no good at all. That would not have been the place that I would have been. But that was their view, that was their thought, that was their, their, their paganistic views on these gods. This entire city was, was pretty much dedicated 
to the worship of all of these, these, these so-called uh, Greek and Roman gods. Well, 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 15 says, the people that, that have succumbed, the people that have, ha- have moved into this direction, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So where we're going with this in regards to the compromise that's taking place, that there were people in the church and they were trying to embrace Christianity, yet at the same time, they were embracing this pagan religion. And why were they doing it? Because they were compromising. They were trying to keep everybody happy. They were trying to not make waves. They were trying not to buck the establishment. Consequently, they were double-minded. It tells us in the word that a double-minded man or woman is unstable in all of their ways. And that's a powerful scripture, a convicting scripture to me, and I believe it should be a convicting scripture to all of us that call ourselves Christians because we know that there is a way and we know that there is a truth and we know that there is a life. We know that we have received everything we need for life and godliness. We know that he has has promised to never leave us or forsake us. We know that he's promised to finish the work that he started in us and for us to waver to one side or another in regards to questioning those truths, questioning the word of God everything then would start to be affected by that instability. There were people that had come in just like Satan came in as an angel of light, looking really great, looking like something that that you would sit up and take notice of. There were people in the church that had done the same thing. And we've been warned that there are those that will disguise themselves as Christians. They'll creep into the church unnoticed. We talked about that in Jude. Jude 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Pergamus the compromising church. It's interesting because what takes place when the compromises start to to become more and more of, of 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 a defining activity in one's life, before long there is no sense of 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 direction, no sense of of the North Star has lost its consistency there. And the truth of God's word starts to become conditional. And we're living in that day and age now in the church where we have developed so much compromise trying to embrace a social gospel, a gospel that that supposedly uh, states that we are crucified in Christ. It's no longer us living, but Christ living in us now. In the life that we live in the flesh, we live for the glory of God. And at the same time, we're trying to to navigate this life and and not create any type of of discomfort between people 
and ourselves that don't know the Lord. Compromise begins when we desire to please men instead of God. And I think of this, perhaps the pastor of Pergamum had become more impressed with the academic prowess of some over the importance of the word of God. I've seen this happen. I've seen pastors, I've seen people become uh, impressed by somebody's credential, credentials, impressed perhaps by the, the car that somebody drives, in, impressed that's something that pastors should never, ever, ever get caught up in. I love it because my pastor, Pastor John Michaels, back at Calvary Chapel, Spring Valley, many, many years ago, he's gone home to be with the Lord, but he taught me uh, a number of things, but one of it is you don't mess with the money, you don't mess with people's pet doctrines, and you don't mess with their kids. And those were things that are very, very important. As far as I don't, I don't like to know who tithes. I don't care who gives what. I try to stay as far away from that as I possibly can because all of a sudden, there can be that moment where someone starts thinking, well, this guy's really a big tither. Well, this guy's doing this. This person owns this particular ministry. They've really done a great job here in the church. And when it comes time to correct somebody or it comes time to express that the vision that God has given the pastor for the church has changed somewhat, maybe they'll downshift. That's really the problem with a lot of the compromise in churches today. I'm preaching just a little bit. But this is something that, that is, is very dear to my heart and very, um, how should I say, it's, um, it's annoying when we find that we have spineless pastors that have a greater concern for people that are compromising the Word of God instead of adhering to the truth of God and having a greater desire to, to please our Heavenly Father. Possibly this pastor in Pergamum had more, uh, you know, uh, focus and, and, and desire to uh, bless those with this great academic ability than he did the importance of God. First Peter 3, 15 through 17 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile your good conduct in Christ might be ashamed. And that was one of the things that we had talked about the, the, the persecuted church at, at Smyrna. They would not compromise. They wouldn't make an exception to, to try to uh, play both ends against the middle. I've heard so often people misuse, blessed are the peacemakers. Certainly, we are to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons and daughters of God. But why is that, that exhortation so powerful? Because as you and I maintain an atmosphere of peace, it leaves the door open, if you will, for the Holy Spirit to be able to have, have access to what is it is that's taking place, what it is that's being discussed, what it is that's going on. But it never, ever implies that we would become 
double-minded, that we would, we would uh, make exceptions of God's word in order to make somebody who does not know the Lord feel comfortable, that we would know that we are to speak the truth in love, and the operative word there is the truth. Speak the truth in love. A great saying that I, I came across by uh, a man by the name of Tyrone Edwards. Compromise is but the sacrifice of one right or good in the hope of retaining another. Compromise is but the sacrifice of one right or good in the hope of retaining another and too often ending in the loss of both. That's powerful. We make a compromise in hopes of, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and sacrifice this in hopes that I'll be able to maybe receive that. The church at, at, at Pergamos was known for their compromise. Whether they were man-pleasers, whether their relationship with the Lord had, had started to, to become uh, uh, pretty much just by rote once again. It's very interesting because as we had talked about the way in which these different churches relate to church history, starting from, from uh, Pentecost, working all the way through uh, to the rapture, this third church uh, is seen on this biblically historical timeline, if you will, uh, as taking a, a period in church history uh, at uh, around thir 313 A.D., what happened in 313 A.D.? Well, Constantine uh, brought forth a decree that said that the Christians will no longer be persecuted for their faith, no longer be persecuted for their religion. And some have thought that as soon as the persecution stopped, they started, the church started just to relax started to not take things as seriously about the things of the Lord. Do you take things as seriously as you used to? I, I, was, I was listening to something the other day and the, the gentleman made the comment, he said, well, I, I don't watch TV and I don't watch movies. And I thought, oh Lord, there was a day that, that I did not have a TV in my house. And then when we moved to a different house, I had the TV in the garage. And now I've got two TVs. And I know that a TV is not going to keep you, me, us, out of heaven. But where's our heart? Where is our desire to maintain an atmosphere that is perfectly, perfectly uh, comfortable for the Lord? That our comfort, the people around us, their comfort would take second second position, if you will, to our desire to have comfort for my Heavenly Father in my home? Are there rooms where you don't let the Lord go into? Are there things that you say, God, you don't, you don't want to go there. You don't want to talk about that. Or is everything in our life opened up to Him? Because any place that we would say that we don't think that the Lord would want to go to, or any room in our home, or any place in our heart that we don't allow the Lord into is a place where compromise is developing. And compromise is so insidious and so, so um, 
diabolical because ultimately what it does is one thinks, well, I made this compromise, I made this concession. And when that starts to happen, the one that's affected is our Lord because the the atmosphere by which he communicates and, 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 and spends time with us then has been compromised, has been weakened, has been weakened. Compromise is but the sacrifice of one right or good in the hopes of retaining another and too often ending in the loss of both. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things, says he, who has the sharp two-edged sword. It's interesting because I love this Christian. Jesus is going to simply confront these people with the word of God. And that's why here at Calvary Chapel, Shadow Mountain, my greatest, greatest concern is that you all are students of God's word. Maybe I have an, an ulterior motive there because the more the more powerful, the more influence that God's word has on the body of Christ in regards to decisions, in in regards to situations that we encounter, the easier things are going to go for the pastor and the people around you. Because all of a sudden, us getting our way is not as important. It's more important that the Lord would be glorified. All of a sudden, us being able to, to, to walk uh, by faith and not by sight becomes something that is, is exciting and we would desire then to be able to live lives of faith, live lives where we are feeding on God's word. He goes to the angel of the church of, 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 of Pergamos. Right, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. And you know the scripture, one of my favorite scriptures, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joint and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I love that. The word of God will not let you not let you you wiggle out of something. The Word of God will tell you how it is. The Word of God will tell me what I'm supposed to do. There's no gray areas. There's no areas for compromise. The Word of God might say, you know, hey man, I, I, I expect you to be this person that would not forsake the fellowship of the brethren, let's say, uh, which is something that's uh, very re- relevant right now. And we would say, well, what does that mean? I don't want to go to church anymore. I got upset with my church. I got upset with my pastor. I didn't have the, 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 the biblical uh, uh, arsenal of scriptures to be able to allow God to speak his word through me and to me. So I got mad. I left the church. And now I hang out in someone else's house once in a while. And we call this church and we sit around and just kind of rap about the things of God. I tell you, that's something that the Word of God will not let you, will not let me, will not let us excuse anything that's contrary to who He is. Why? Because this is powerful, you guys. The Word of God is a discerner. It understands. It comprehends. 
It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents, the intentions of the heart. I tell you what, be careful. I, I, many, 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 many years back, I, I prayed to the Lord, uh, Lord, show me my motives. <laughs> show me my motives. That's a tough prayer because you can always seem to find some type of self-serving motive in almost everything that we do. The Word of God gives us a clear picture of who it is that we are to be. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I, I asked them, in this polluted, vile, confused culture that we're living in, do we even have the ability to know what true holiness is? And that's convicting to me. I mean, going through Daniel, reading about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys are, are going to go into this fiery furnace and goes, hey, even if our Lord doesn't save us, we're not going to bow to your idols. Even if we don't name it and claim it, grab it, blab it, get what it is that we want, we're not going to bow to your idols. Do we even have that kind of constitution in the United States today, in the church today? I know that there's the persecuted church in other parts of the world, and I believe they've got us beat in a lot of ways because we have so much. We are so wealthy. And someone says, I'm not going to let you play golf. I'm not going to let you go to the gap and go shopping at the mall and we're, oh, this is so terrible. Oh, the persecution that we're going through. You know, do we as the body of Christ in these last days have the tenacity, the endurance that's based on the living and active word coming in and transforming our lives in such a way that we bring glory to Jesus Christ with every thought and every deed do we have that strength? Do we have that, that fortification that comes from God's divine hand on our life? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we do not know the word of God, our hearts will come up with something that will be very, very self-indulgent. But if we know God's word, when my heart tries to say something that's contrary to the word of God, it will be that which will discern the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. It will keep us from compromise. He says, I know your works. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. <laughs> Once again, here's that, that phrase that we love, I know Yes, I know. They're there. I know. But he says, I know your works. The church is the body of Christ. And certainly he knows the church like the back of his hand. He knows our works. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intents. He knows our motives. He knows why we do what we do. He knows when we make a compromise because we're more concerned about perhaps making somebody feel awkward than we are about standing firm and glorifying God through words that would change an individual's life instead of appease an individual for the moment. 
He knows all of these things. He knows our circumstances. And he knows that Pergamos was in a tough place because of all of the idolatry, because of everything that was going on in this amazing town that was defined by its, its intellectualism and, and academia and all of the temples to these Roman and Greek gods. It wasn't the garden spot of Smyrna. It wasn't the, 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 the seaport that was not seeing quite as much activity as it had previously, like the church of Ephesus. This is a church, this is an area that's known for all of the focus that went on the Greek gods, the idolatry in the area. And he says, I know, you're in the stronghold of, of satanic power there. You dwell where Satan's throne is. And it's interesting because I've heard people say that about Las Vegas. Las Vegas is a, is a difficult town. And I've heard people say that I'm sure that Satan's got an office here in Las Vegas. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. The things that go on in Las Vegas, the lives that are ruined, the marriages that are ruined, the relationships, everything that takes place in Las Vegas. And I think it's interesting because for some reason those streets are empty tonight. That should be a wake-up call. We are experiencing a wake-up call. We do not want to find ourselves compromising where we look at the, at the decay around us and it doesn't affect us any longer. That would be a sense of compromise, if you will, a sense of complacency, that we would never stop having a heart for the lost, that we would never stop grieving for what it is that's taking place. Pergamus had gotten somewhat used to it, despite the fact that they lived in such a difficult city, Jesus did praise the Christians of Pergamos because they didn't deny his faith. They didn't deny that. He says, and you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. It's interesting because there's not a lot about this uh, brother by the name of Antipas. But whatever it was, he was not about to compromise. He was not about to retract anything. He was not about to take a little pinch of incense and, and put it on the fire and say, Hail Caesar, which was what they were asking. That's all you have to do. Come on, man. It's just, some, it's just kind of an act. You, you don't have to really believe it. Just take a little incense and, and just drop it on the fire and say, Hail Caesar, and everything will be fine. That's all you've got to do. We talked about Polycarp last week, and we talked about Antipas this week. We talked about Daniel in the lion's den on Thursday, on Wednesday. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We look at the Apostle Paul. We look at, at, at Peter. We look at James. We read Fox's Book of Martyrs. God have mercy that we would be those people that would jettison anything that would even have a hint of compromise in regards to the holiness that's required of us. 
And here's one of the things that I love so much. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we would not use this grace as a license to exercise compromise. We would be thankful that we have a God that has told us that when we have that thought, we have that response. It's like, oh Lord, that we are saved by his grace, his, his gift, his charis, his gift to us, his grace. And we are saved by his grace by having faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith should have a, an, an effect on our lives. interesting the name Antipas means against all this man stood firm against all evil that surrounded him and it cost him his life that we would be like Antipas that we would be people that would against all stand firm against the schemes of the enemy and the word martyr is an interesting word because so often we associate it with somebody like Polycarp and or, you know, the, the Christians as they were uh, uh, ushered into to the Colosseums uh, under, under the, the horrific persecution that they experienced. Uh, we, we, we think about a martyr, and we always uh, relate it to somebody uh, giving up their life for something. Uh, it's interesting because the word martyr in its day actually uh, meant witness. A martyr was a witness. The word was martus. Uh, and it was said that this is the true, and I know it, it is not until the New Testament times that martus ever meant martyr like we mean it. Prior to that, a martyr was a witness. Somebody who, who stood up and, and witnessed, testified as to the glory of God, the beauty of God, the power of God, the forgiveness of God, the hope of God. There are people out there that they need to have a hope. There are marriages that are, are falling apart. There are parents that have no relationship with their children anymore. There are children that have no relationship with their parents anymore. There are people now that have lost jobs. They, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And you and I, as martyrs, can witness, we can proclaim the faithfulness of God, and we then can be ready as martyrs, as these witnesses, to be able to pray with people and to direct them to Jesus. None of us wants to face a lion. We were kind of morbidly talking about that in the kitchen uh, earlier today, and it's like, you know, it's like, man, you've got a lion, and he puts his, his, his shoulders are up about the height of, of the refrigerator, and then his head's above that, and I said, and he's got these paws that are the size of a dinner plate is uh, oh no but but we we look at that and it's almost like wow we don't even think that that could have really happened it did happen and people's love people's relationship people's connection with god was so powerful that as i believe the the statement goes i believe it was uh oswald chambers that said we should live our lives in such a way that we can smile at Nero as we enter into the Colosseum to face the lions, that that would be our martyrdom, our martos, our witness, that we could smile because our perspective is so far beyond this stuff and it's about heaven. Hmm. He goes, but I got a few things against you, verse 14. 
because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. It's interesting because as we went through Jude, we, we talked about uh, Balaam and Balak. The Christians in Pergamos were, were commended for holding fast to the name of Jesus and for keeping the faith, yet at the same time, their difficult environment didn't excuse the few things that Jesus did have with them. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you, you hear this, this expression, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Well, no, we're not perfect. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I know that I will sin probably before I get out of this building tonight. I will do something that, that is, is contrary to the heart of God. I will think something. I will respond in a way. But the perfection that we have comes through Christ. I love the, the title of Jesus, Jehovah Tzid Canoe, God of our righteousness. We have received a righteousness through Him, and as we stay close to Him, as we are clothed in His forgiveness, washed in the blood of the Lamb, we can wear that garment of righteousness because it has been imparted to us through Jehovah Tzid Canoe, the God of our righteousness. But the compromises that were taking place in Pergamos, they were doing things pretty well, but they still had those areas of compromise. According to Numbers, I believe it's a 22, 24, 31 area, Balaam, you remember what happened? He had been offered a lot of money uh, to, to, uh, to curse the Israelites. They had left the promised land. They were a very imposing, uh, tremendous uh, population moving through the countryside. And, and Balak, this king, said, hey, I, you know, we've got to do something. We need to curse this guy. So what does he do? He calls Balaam in there. And, and, and Balaam originally was told, no, 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 you're not going to curse these people. God said, you're not going to curse my people. And then so what did Balak do? He, he ups the ante, makes him an offer he can't refuse. And so what does he do then? He goes back and he goes, well, let me go talk to God again. And that's when you know that he was almost killed in that, in that, in that narrow area between those two cliffs when his donkey was pushing him into the side. There was an angel. Interestingly enough, what did the angel have in his hand? Flaming sword. But the sword of the Spirit that Jesus talks about, the sword of his word sharper than a two-edged sword. And what happened? Ultimately, he found a way where he could compromise. And he said, I can't have you curse Israel, but I'll tell you what I can do. Send some of your best-looking girlies out here and, 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 and have them come along and seduce the men of Israel and, and feed them this, this food that had been sacrificed to your idols. And, and, and that will get them to sin, and that will anger God against them. Oh, what an, what an insidious, vile plan. When Balaam counseled Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel by getting them to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to indulge in sexual immorality, the compromises 
or concessions that took place were such that God was extremely, extremely angry about that. And the compromises that took place in the church of Pergamum, they took place in the same areas. Idolatry and immorality. And what's happening in the church today? Idolatry and immorality. It, The immorality was running rampant there in, in Pergamum. And there was a, 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 a Greek philosopher that felt that that was just uh, the normal uh, response for the appetite of a young man was to indulge in all types of, of immoral behavior. And we're living in a day and age. I, I was thinking about this, and I, you know, I, I wrote the guy's name down. Tim Tebow. You guys remember Tim Tebow? You better, phenomenal athlete and a brother in the Lord. And he was made fun of because he was going to save himself. He wanted to remain a virgin until he got married. And it's like, <laughs> the, the, the world is laughing at him. The world laughs at somebody who would try to live a, a moral life for the glory of God. David Gusick says, sexual immorality marked the whole culture of the ancient empire. It was simply taken for granted, and the person who lived by biblical standards of purity was considered strange. To paraphrase Roman statesman Cicero, Barclay says, if there is anyone who thinks that young men should not be allowed to love the love of many women, he's extremely severe. I am not able to deny the principle he stands on, but he contradicts not only with the freedom of our, that our age allows, the day and age, but he also contradicts the customs and the allowances of our ancestors. It's, it's, it's something that is, is a result of, of this world, and it's amazing to see how much it's changed. I, I say this quite a lot. Uh, but as, as a, a young man, I, I, I think back, I was blessed. Perhaps you were too, those of you who, who are in your 60s. This is, a, this is a different world than the world of stingray bicycles and, and riding down the street and having to be home when the street lights came on and, and just baseball hat caps and and, and going to Little League Baseball practice. It's a whole different gig out there. And that's where we are today. These compromises have happened. He says, thus also, though, you hold the doctrine of the Nicotine. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicotaleasians. I'm sorry, which things I hate. We don't really know. We've done research. We don't know who the Nicolaitans actually were. We do know that, that they were a, a hedonistic group that had taken the grace of God and said that you could indulge in these various activities uh, because of the grace of God. Uh, the title Nicolaitan has the idea of a proud authority and a hierarchical separatism. The name Nicolaitans literally means to conquer the people. According to the ancient commentators, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans 
approved of immorality. If it feels good, do it. Of course it's all right. And where are we today? The compromises, the concessions that we, we see taking place right even in the church. This rebuke was not only against those who hold the doctrine of Balaam and those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaeans, but also to those who allowed it to continue to carry on. One of the problems in the church today, as I had said earlier, is spineless pastors. Pastors that will not tell somebody the truth. Pastors that are afraid of hurting people's feelings. I don't want you to think that I'm talking about being sadistically mean or insensitive to people. We are to speak the truth in love, but our love, your love, the love of, of, of Christians for other Christians needs to be such that says, listen, man, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about you. If you don't change your ways, the Bible says you're going to go to hell. I'm not talking about your, your, your limited uh, atonement or your, uh, uh, your uh, divine election, your, your unconditional election, your limit. I'm not talking about it. Uh, forget about those things. If somebody's life has not been affected by Jesus Christ enough to bring about a repentance and a desire to bring glory to him through, through sacrificing your flesh and living a life glorifying to him, then I don't know that you can say that that individual has experienced Jesus. Maybe they raised their hand. Maybe they were in some kind of a church environment and, and, and now everybody come forward and all of a sudden all the pastor's caring about is how many decisions he had for the Lord that night and what happens to them the next day. If an individual's life is born again, it means that something powerful has happened in their heart that can be said that they no longer are living now, but it's Christ living in them. You can say that the old has passed away and all things have become new again. And we want to have our proverbial cake and eat it too. We, we want to still navigate this, this carnal world, materialistic world, but say that we have our get-out-of-hell insurance card in our back pocket because we accepted Jesus at summer camp a million years ago or because our parents led us in a sinner's prayer when we were four years old and now we think that we're saved but we don't go to church. We don't serve God. He's not a priority in our life. Uh, I'm preaching a little bit. Who'd have thunk? I didn't know that this was going to happen. Anyway, a difficult environment never justifies compromise. It's easy for a church in such difficulty to justify this compromise in the name of, we need all the help we can get. But no church needs that kind of compromise. I remember I was at a church many years ago, and it was cool. We had a, a great Christian school. Things were going really well. And all of a sudden, it's expensive. <laughs> you guys, those of you who, who have your kids that are going over to uh, uh, Pahrump Community Christian School, man, support that church. Tithe to that church. It's expensive to have a Christian school. It's expensive to have a Christian school. And we were having difficulty with finances, and the next thing we knew, we started allowing people to bring their children into the school that had been kicked out of every school that they had ever been into. These incorrigibles that did not know Jesus. It used to be that you would have to sign something. Yes, I was born again. I know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they started making concessions because they needed 
these wealthy people around Las Vegas. They needed their bucks, so they compromised their convictions. They brought in these incorrigibles, and the school fell apart within two years. I mean, probably less than that. Got to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves, Christians. Verse 16, repent, turn away, change your direction, make a 180-degree turn here, or else I will come to you quickly and fight against you with what? With the word, with the sword of my mouth, the word of God. Let's see somebody argue the word of God. Let's see somebody, and that's the thing. You don't go into a situation like you're some great trial lawyer, but when you know God's word, the first person that you are able to, to stand up against in court is Satan. When he starts telling you lies about yourself, when he starts causing questions in your life about your, your, your salvation, and, and then the next place would be that you would be able to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy when you go toe-to-toe with somebody who has, has studied for years and years some cultic type of, of theology, and, and they're wanting to, to shred you. It's interesting. I believe it's, uh, it's Sun Tzu that says, you know, that the enemy that you chase into a box canyon is different than the, that, that finds himself in the box canyon is different than the enemy that you originally chased in there. Why? Because their back is up against the wall. When you find yourself going toe-to-toe with somebody in a cult, whether, whatever the cult might be, you can think of them yourself. We're surrounded by many of them here in this town. These people are going to fight for their life because if they lose... The biblical debate, they have to admit that they're going to hell then. And it's not that you would want to be able to destroy somebody from an intellectual standpoint with all of your great Bible knowledge, but you would use the same source that Jesus used. You would fight with the sword of God's word and let God's word bring about the conviction. Let God's word bring about the change. As Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, who doesn't fall into camp compromise, who doesn't give in to trying to appease the social gospel, to keep the world happy, yet at the same time try to keep the Lord happy. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. It's an interesting area. Not a lot of people know what, exactly what this means. But the hidden manna, there was manna that was in the, the, uh, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and that was carried over when God fed them manna. Uh, we, we know that, that the manna was this, was this sustenance that came from heaven when the children uh, were, were in the wilderness. But we also know that what that's saying is that, that we have a, a provision from God. He knows our needs and to those that overcome, he will continue to feed us. He will continue to give us everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful blessing. Be anxious for nothing. Jesus said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. Every area is covered. He is the I am. Who will, who will take care of this need? Who's the one that will take care of these needs in my life? Father, God says, I am. I am the one. I am. 
and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And I love that, because once again, this is an area that we don't understand. We know that there was a, a back in the day that if somebody had been found innocent in a court of law, they would receive a white stone. Uh, in the ancient world, the use of white stones uh, had numerous associations. A white stone uh, could be a ticket to a banquet. It could be a sign of friendship. Uh, evidence of having been counted that you have been noticed or a sign of acquittal in a court of law. I like that one. And Jesus may have had one of these meanings, but, but at the very least, we know that we have this assurance. And what I like about this, I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. You can tell... Uh, how people, how close you are to people when you can use nicknames. I, I, you know, back when I first started pastoring, I, I liked to be called Pastor Lonnie. Now I, I, I kind of like being called Biggs, hey Biggs. You know, just a nickname, it's an affectionate term. Jesus has a special name for us, a special name for us. And when we learn it, when we, when we hear it, we'll go, oh, Wow, yes, thank you, Lord. Really, that's the way you saw me. That's the way you characterized me as your child. No one knows it except him. And on the stone of that new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Once again, the idea behind a new secret name is that it shows an intimate relationship, guys, that we have with the Lord. A real intimate, sweet, if I may use this word, I don't mean it, nothing to be secret about it, but a secret relationship. The song, in the secret, in the quiet place, your secret place where you go to be with the Lord. He has a name for you. We have all kinds of nicknames in our house. People would come to our house, and you would not even be able to know what my daughter's real names are. <laughs> because we never use them. We could go on and on. First John 5, 5. He is, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Spirit of God. When you believe that Jesus is the Spirit of God, Christian, compromise becomes less and less of an issue. We desire to serve God with all of our heart, to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to seek first the kingdom of, his, of God and his, his righteousness. And we must always be careful, always be careful, and pray that God show us where I'm starting to compromise. Show me where I'm making exceptions. Show me where I'm making concessions. Because we're living in a day and age that the world wants to find something that they can say, oh, look, they're not, they're not totally committed. Daniel, when they scrutinized his life, when those, when those satraps scrutinized Daniel's life, and set him up with Darius to be placed in the lion's den. They couldn't find anything, anything in his life 
Well, he laughed at a kind of a coarse joke one time. Well, I saw him get upset with somebody once. No, 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 they couldn't find anything. There was no compromise in Daniel's life. And these are the things that are convicting me. And as your pastor, I pray that I convey to you that we would be a people in this day and age that would look at those who have gone on before us. And if we serve a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, why would we think that our conduct would be able to be justified as anything less than those who have gone on before us? The Bible tells us in Hebrews that considering this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin which so easily encumbers and run that race that's set before us without compromise. God bless you guys. God bless you guys.